Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back for another week of the Max Potential Habits podcast. Today we're talking one of my absolute favorite topics and that is money. We have on a guest who has founded six successful companies, has done a lot of writing on finance and coaching, and he helps people scale their revenue, their businesses, while avoiding all the classic gimmicks like ultra pricey courses or quick hacks that never really work. So uh, in researching him to come on the show, I went to his website and I was intrigued and drawn in and giggling a lot because he has a, a really great sense of humor and is really straightforward. The book that he wrote that attracted me to him is FQ, Financial Intelligence. So we're gonna have a lot of awesome conversations. So welcome to the show today, Henry Doss. Thanks so much for having me here, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I am so curious. First, what started for you first? Were you, did you become coach, business guy, entrepreneur? Tell us about your background of entrepreneurship. Okay, great. Uh, business guy first. I founded my first company in 91, so almost 30 years ago. Um, I had a business partner, so I guess technically I co-founded it. Uh, I started as a um, what was called an Apple computer value-added reseller. And, you know, when people would say, what's your value-add? I'd say, me, right? You want to buy from me. Um, and then I had a series of businesses with that partner and with some other partners, which took me up really to um, about 10 years ago when I turned 50 and I said, okay, what's, what's the next act of my life? And then I, I, I sat down and I created what I call a purposeful business, right? I sat down and I looked at what are the things I want? What are the things that I don't want? What are the things that I absolutely cannot have? What are the things that I absolutely must have? And I crafted it and I was drawn to coaching entrepreneurs sharing my experiences um, with people who are where I was 25 years ago. Well, that's kind of how it started. Nice. Okay. And, and, and when you wanted to coach entrepreneurs, what phase of entrepreneurship or all phases? Well, when I first started, it was just like any other entrepreneurial business. If somebody had a credit card and a pulse, you're my client, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's how... That's how every bit, and you know what, and the pulse is even optional because I can run the credit card. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding, but um, I love it. But no, it, that's really how businesses start. In fact, yeah. I have a theory that you're not a real business until you can say no, until you, until someone who gives you low hanging fruit deal and you just say, "I'm sorry, that's not what we do," then you're a real business. So, I started with early stage, and I've I've leveled up. Now I'm at a point where my, my wheelhouse, my sweet spot, is really a million dollar plus top line, which is kind of rarefied air because only about 4% of all businesses, and there are 30 million businesses in America, will ever reach a million dollars you know, uh, gross sales in a year. Um, I do work with other folks who are, uh, you know, I have a couple different programs, so I do work with what I call stage zero or stage one, which is like getting you up to a million. Well, mm -hmm. my preference is the million to five million. Uh, there's just more to work with. They've been in business a little bit longer. Um, 
but I, but you know what, I take all comers. So yeah. I talk to all sorts of different people. And if I think we're a fit, more importantly, if you think we're a fit as a potential client, um, then we can go forward and, and see what happens. I don't do long-term commitments with people. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I want to hear what, what do you think are some of the biggest differences between the startups and the million plus businesses? What are the different struggles they go through the startup struggles, the growth spurts, that kind of thing? Well, one of the big, one of the big differences is when you're first starting up, you don't know what you don't know. I just had a call last night, actually, with a, with a guy who's trying to raise about a half a million dollars for his startup business, which is already five or six years old, right? He's, he's trying to get out of the gate. Um, and he, he said that to me. I don't know what I don't know. Well, the million dollar business, you better know some of the things that you don't know, which is kind of why, as a coach, we're talking. Um, and that's it, And it's usually... It's usually some little keystone part of their business. Mm -hmm. Like I'm writing another book. You mentioned the FQ book, which is my money book, <clears throat> but I'm writing another book that's called, has a, it's another crazy title. It's called Codfish and Longbow. It's a business book. Okay. And Codfish stands for, and this grew out of a coaching session from a couple of years ago. Codfish stands for the, what I call the seven silos of any business. Their customer support, operations, development, finance, infrastructure, sales and marketing and human resources. So every business has those seven silos, whether they care to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. And anything that you have to do in a business will fit into one of those silos. So when you get up to the million dollar level, what I've noticed is uh, some of those silos, they're really, you know, kicking butt. But there's usually one, maybe two, where they're falling down, right? They may be terrible, have a terrible or no human resources department, right? I've seen that people running seven figure business businesses and their HR is just a train wreck. Um, I've had other people who's finance, right? We are going to talk about money. It's astonishing to me uh, to see businesses that are very successful, but their owners have no clue uh, of, of their numbers. They, they mm -hmm. couldn't. They couldn't answer a simple question like, uh, what's your customer acquisition cost, right? What's the lifetime value of a customer? Mm -hmm. I don't know. A lot. Um, you know, they throw a dart at a dartboard. So mm -hmm. we have to work. That's awesome. Okay. To share along those lines, what in terms of financial intelligence for companies, what do you think are some of the biggest pitfalls or mistakes that people make as they're growing their business in the money realm? Uh, one of the biggest mistakes is trusting the wrong people, right? Mm. They figure a hire a CPA, a hire a bookkeeper, they'll take care of it. Mm. Wrong. Sorry. You have to look after that. You do. Well, Henry, I'm not very good at it. Well, here's the thing. You really don't need to know more than fifth grade arithmetic. And I was on a podcast a little while ago and I said fifth grade math, uh, forgetting that the guy was a former teacher and he corrected me. And he said, no, <laughs> what you meant to say was fifth grade arithmetic. So now I'm very careful. I've been, right. I've been, chas I've been chastened <laughs> by that podcast experience. Um, 
but you really don't. I mean, balance sheets, income statements, cash flow, they're not that complicated. We're not talking about logarithms or rapid algebra or stuff that I did calculus that yeah. I did in college. I went to college as an engineer, as an electrical engineer. We did ridiculous math. You don't need that. I've never used it as an adult. Nowhere close to it. Yeah. It's basically add, subtract, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and your, your whatever bookkeeping system you have does most of the work. You just have to click the report. <laughs> exactly. You've got zero. You've got QuickBooks. You've got other, yeah. you know, higher end one things. There's only about five of them. They yeah. all do pretty much the same function and they will all generate the same reports for you. You don't From have a really to, practical level, will you list for people listening what the top five that you recommend are? Top five what? Accounting programs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know well, most people know QuickBooks. Uh, I'll, I'll draw, I'll draw a um, chronological line. If you are um, over the age of 40, you're probably going to use QuickBooks. If you're under the age of 40, you're probably going to use Zero. Okay. Yeah, I've never even heard of zero. I use QuickBooks. <laughs> that age is. Yeah, me. I work with a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I work with a lot of location independent businesses. So people who are, who are uh, all over the world. People Australia, Tokyo, Thailand, Europe, um, uh, South America. So uh, I only learned that over the last several years. I actually took my books and I tried to replicate them, which are done in QuickBooks, and tried to replicate them in zero. And I threw my hands up. I said, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just an old guy who's stuck in his way, but but it was counterintuitive to yeah. me. But but all the all the um, okay, the that's, that's good to know. Swear by it. I'll have yeah. to check it out. My I was raised on QuickBooks. I was when I was twelve. Yep. I was doing the data entry for my dad on the you know real old computer. <laughs> I've been doing it for twenty five years, going back to the nineties. My yeah. my first company. We ran a the QuickBooks desk, desktop. We had to buy a multi user version. And yeah. Set up a server. Yeah. It was like I need an IT degree just to set up the accounting <laughs> in my office. <laughs> yeah. So what I you know I think the important point is that it's so incredibly easy now to. Keep keep your, and let's say you said trusting the wrong people was one of the biggest mistakes. You know, what would you recommend in that way? If you do want to delegate some of those tasks, would it be have a bookkeeper, but then you still do the oversight and you know what's going on. So it's, it's more of, of share with us what, what you yeah, would recommend well, the, there. The bookkeeper's job is to do the grunt work, right? Yeah. They've got to do the reconciliations. You don't want to do, I'm not, I'm not suggesting to any business owner that they sit there and do bank recs. Yeah. Right. Or credit card recs. Right. Uh, double entry accounting. Just make sure that they're schooled in that. Right. Yeah. Double it. Right. Um, reports. The online version of QuickBooks is not as robust as the desktop version, but it's a lot easier to use. I find the reports are a little threadbare. Um, so I prefer the desktop version, but I get that it's it's easy to have your CPA or accountant just log into your account remotely and yeah. do the work. Yeah. Um, you don't need to micromanage that, but what you want is you want a nice, clean, timely report. Timely being the important thing. I've had clients who are like, "Well, what's your you know what is your um, cash flow look like?" Well, we're three months behind. Yeah. On our accounting, I swear, I've heard that. I'm like, you shouldn't be three minutes behind on your accounting. When yeah. the month ends, within seven days, you should be able to generate a good report from the previous month. If not, we've got to fix that. Yeah. But that's not a hard fix. No, 
no. Yeah, well, uh, to me, okay, I mean, you know, this is a habits podcast. So I go financial habits are incredibly important as in terms of the lifeblood of your business and keeping sure. it flowing and being aware of what's going on, you know, thinking about in terms of money mindset, what you appreciate, appreciate. So if you completely avoid looking at your money, you're going to probably end up with some problems. Whereas if you are responsible, habitual, setting yourselves up with habits that will create success, you're much more likely to get where you want to go. There and there, there's there's a happy medium. So one of my, I'll, I'll go way back. I'll set the way back machine to like the 1980s. One of my my old college roommates, we were out to dinner out in Sag Harbor. This is probably in the early 80s, and um, he carried a sheet of paper around with him where he wrote down everything that <laughs> he spent. So he excused himself for dinner. I said, "Where are you going, Kelly?" He said, "I got to make a phone call." I said. I said to my, my other friend Ray who's with us, I said, I bet he's going to write down 10 cents. And he pulled his little sheet out and he pointed to where he had put down 10 cents. That's, that's how much a phone call cost at that yeah, time. Yeah. And I just shook my head. That is not what I'm talking about. That, that <laughs> he must have drive. read Your Money or Your Life. Have you ever read that book? That's I, what they yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. We, you need to understand that... Um, as important as money is, time is the one thing that you're never going to get more of. And that's the, I, in my FQ book, I do a whole thing on something I call the 100 hour week. In simple math, you have 100 discretionary hours in any given week. Once you take out the time you have to sleep and bathe and eat and do all the tasks that you have to do as a human being. Once you get rid of all of those, you've got a hundred hours. So how are you going to spend those? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I'm not, I tell people, they say, how much time should I spend on my money? I say four hours a week. Where did you come up with that number, Henry? 40 years of experience? Yeah. Four hours a week. Could you spare four hours a week to run on your money? Well, yeah, of course I could. I don't want to, but I could. Yeah. And what would you say for people listening? What would you spend those four hours on when you're looking at your money? Um, I would spend probably two hours looking backwards and two hours looking forwards. So okay. backwards is, you know, make sure your numbers look good. If you're, you're spending money on credit cards, if you've got some debt, like a lot of, a lot of the, um, you know, millennial um, clients that I have worked with are drowning in student debt. Um, so there's that side of it. Um, and then it's look forward. Okay, I've got some excess capital. How am I going to maximize that? Am I going to invest in the stock market, right? I'm a stock trader, have been since I was in high school. Uh, or am I going to uh, maybe build up a little fund so I, I could buy a, you know, a piece of real estate, something like that. Bottom so line is you got to have a plan. Yeah, so right? future wealth building. How much do you recommend people reinvest in their business every year? Like, is there a percentage that you recommend? I wouldn't or? say that there is a percentage. Um, it's it's difficult because of the way the tax code is structured in, in, in the U.S. We've seen that now with the pandemic. I mean, most businesses don't have more than 10 days cash on hand to run their business if, if the, 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 the inbound flow of money comes to a halt like it did. They don't because 95% of businesses are passed through entities, which basically means you're an S-corp. 
So what happens is when December rolls around, you want to zero out your company. Otherwise, if you keep retained earnings, you're going to be subject to double taxation. I don't want to get too technical about this. Most entrepreneurs should know that. Yeah. So you're really de-incented, um, at least as a pass-through, um, from keeping any money around in your company. Mm -hmm. Right? So you don't have it. Um, you know, I give uh, my coaching clients who, who sign up for, who pay me by a year, and I have a few clients who pay me for the entire year in advance and they pay me in December, mm -hmm. right? They've got some cash rattling around. I give them a 10% discount. Yeah. So what I call a smart money move. I call that, that's the FQ thing to do, right? Cause nice. that's, you know, that 10% is, you know, a nice little chunk of money gives them about six weeks of free coaching. Um, and all you're doing is paying me with money that otherwise would be exposed to the tax man or that you'd have to bonus out anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Make it a business expense. Why not? That's awesome. Is, is that a tip that you share in your book? I'm sorry, what? Oh, about prepaying for? Yeah. For oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it. Okay. I'm in, curious. Will you give us a little bit of a, like the highlight reel of your book so that people know what they will get out of reading it? Okay. So I structured it as, um, I, I actually wrote it as a course. So you go to my website, you'll see that it's a, it's a course that I teach one-on-one. -on -one. It's a 20-week course. There are 18 modules in the book. Um, I divided them into, really into three six-chapter tranches. So I call it Act One, because I'm, I'm also a screenwriter. So Act One is um, really about money mindset, something I call the thick green line, which is, which is sort of calculating the arc of your life, uh, your net worth versus your age right? Mm -hmm. And actually plotting an arc. And, and you know, people do that as an exercise. Um, and we talk about it. Then I talk about your personal balance sheet, your personal income statement, your cash flow. I simplify it a little bit because I don't want to make it too complicated for people. Um, so that we have an idea of, of today, when you're talking to Henry, this is what my net worth is. I have mm -hmm. this many assets. I've got this many liabilities. This is what I have. And then we work on building a plan by looking at the, um, you know, the, the financial headwinds. What's coming up down the line? Oh, I got to save for retirement. I got to save for the kids' school. You know, I'm afraid my parents didn't put away enough money. All that stuff. So that's really the first act. And then the second act, I talk about how to invest. Stock market, bonds, real estate, commodities, futures, FX. We talk about different accounts, 401ks, all of the things that you would need to know to be able to invest the money that you have. And then the third act is a lot of the bear traps. I have a chapter that's called Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, where, where I talk about all of the people and all of the things that are trying to steal your money from you. Uh, I talk about insurance. I talk about social security. I talk about uh, state planning. Um, and then I have the last chapter, which is kind of like all the odds and ends of different stuff that didn't neatly fit in. Idea is, this is cradle to grave. This is everything yes. I think you need to know uh, in order to be financially intelligent, not literate, right? Liter literate's the ability to read and write. That's great. But if you don't have an original thought in your, he your head, literacy doesn't mean anything. You need to create stuff, right? That's intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. able to use those skills to create new knowledge, your personal new knowledge, because no one 
is going to look after your money better than you. Period. I love this. You know, it's interesting. It, it reminds me, I was quite a while back on LinkedIn. I was reading an article and it was actually published by University of Colorado Boulder, where I'm from, but they were talking about in partnerships, making sure that both people have financial literacy and financial intelligence. Because mm -hmm. if you're in a partnership where you rely only on one person, what happens if that person dies, you get divorced, you know, there's all these issues. I would think in a business model, it's very similar. You know, when you're growing your business, it, it, financial mm -hmm. intelligence to me is critical and most people really struggle. So one of the things that you talked about in, in the topics before when we were discussing pre-show was entrepreneurs turning their businesses around by focusing more on their personal finances. Could you give listeners some tips there about what are some of the key habits that people would want to implement to have their personal finances reflect in their business world? Well, one of the old uh, tropes um, is uh, pay yourself first. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea that, um, you know, the, the you, your goal as an entrepreneur is not to create a business that you can't quit. Right. I've said that to people a million times. Otherwise, go work for somebody else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You want to be able to build a plan that will obsolete your, yourself from the business. There should come a point where where the business does not need you anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Um, you can come up with some, some KPIs, some metrics of, okay, how much can I legitimately take out of this money and redeploy in other arenas, whether they be in a SEP account or an IRA or one of the tax sheltered accounts, which I highly recommend because there are very few places that ordinary people, uh, and when I say, you know, ordinary pe people who are just working for a living can put money. If you're Bezos or Warren Buffett, you know, you, the world's your oyster. You can hide money anywhere, which is why Warren Buffett pays a lower tax rate than his secretary. It's because he has that available to him, but ordinary yeah. mortals don't. <laughs> I used to fight with my business partner because I would want to max out the SEP account. And he was a little bit of a, of a, of a spendthrift. Uh, hopefully he'll never listen to this. <laughs> Maybe he will. <laughs> but he was. Uh, he was much more interested in spending the money than making the money, which is what one of the things that led to our demise as business partners. Um, so we'd have to make a compromise, right? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm the force that says, put it away. I want to put it away now, 30 years ago, uh, because now it's worth a heck of a lot more. Uh, and I didn't have to do anything. I was making money while I slept. Yeah which is, you know, really important. Yes, passive streams of income from multiple, multiple places. <laughs> multiple passive streams, multiple active streams. Yeah. Um, right, you see what, you know, Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, we find out who's, who's swimming naked. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to be one of those guys. No. What would you say are the top things for people to do to prevent that or to, you know, if we're thinking about preventative FQ or financial intelligence, what are your top mm -hmm. tips there? Well, one of the things that, that and it's, again, it's really old school. It's not sexy. It's not the, the kind of thing that's going to sell uh, per se, but have a plan, right? So when you do the course with me, you will come out with a plan. It's not, it's not chiseled in granite. But just like you, if you started a business, you want to have a plan. Where do you want to go? I've asked people, what's your exit strategy? They have no idea. Yeah. Even last night's conversation with this you know, young fellow who's going to raise a half a million bucks and give away a little portion of equity. What's your exit strategy? I don't really know. 
right? Everyone's exit strategy is death. But before we get there, there's a <laughs> lot of stuff that we have to do, right? There is. And uh, you want to make sure, look, do you want to retire? Um, I've got, I'm all, I'm 60 years old and I have friends. I've been to retirement parties. I've got friends who are retiring. I'm like, you're retiring. I'm just getting started. Uh, you know, it's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah. They, they, they are, they um, planned, they banked a lot of money. They avoided uh, the huge uh, financial pitfalls. The, the biggest one of all being divorce, right? Um, nothing can destroy your financial fabric more than that, but hey, it happens. Yeah. Right. Uh, talk about partnerships. That's your most important one. Right? Yeah. Business partners come and go. Well, I mean, I guess wives come and go, but I've been married <laughs> to the same woman for 30 years. Somehow yeah. we figured it out. But yeah, make a plan. Pivot only really when you need to, right? I've been talking to a lot of folks about, um, about pivoting their businesses. Back in April, when this all happened, I opened my coaching practice up for April, May, and June for free for anybody. Put a big banner on the front of my website. So I've spoken to... 50 or 60 different people, uh, all entrepreneurs, all hardworking, all smart. Um, and they got blindsided by this. And I can't yeah. blame them. Uh, you know, they were unprepared. But the first question I asked him is, look, if this goes on for another year, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be able to pay your rent? Are you going to be able to you know, feed your kids? Fortunately, almost pretty much everybody that I spoke to said yes, whether they're telling me the truth or not. You know, I can only take people at their word. Um, that's the most important thing. Because you, if you're worried about that, you, you're not going to make clear-headed decisions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I always think about that, the financial stress that people put themselves under in a lot of ways through the habits that set them up prior to the event right. happening where they are in that survival mode state. One of the things I really promote is to have people, I call it a money magnet account, where they have a minimum of six months of business expenses stacked up or business profits stacked up so that they can make sure that they have, they can skate through something like this and in their personal account. Right. So it, it, it's yeah. that, that thing where you go, okay, if you're in flight fight freeze mode in the money world, you're going to make some crazy decisions and we don't want to be in that yeah. situation. So it's about, you know, really thinking of it as like winterizing your business, you know, where you're going like, okay, let's always be in this preventative maintenance mode where we go, okay, how much do I need to make sure I can stay afloat? What do you, what do you recommend there? I mean, a year, would you say a year having a year of funds? A year is a lifetime. See, my, my take on it is a little bit different. I, I have a saying, I, I say my wife even quotes it back to me. All money is fungible, right? All money, what you talk about having six months, that's a mental bank account. Yeah. And I talk yeah. about that in my book. Those are all mental, mental bank accounts. If that works for you, great. But it may not necessarily be the smart money move. If you've got, you know, 20 grand in a mental bank account that's, that's, that's earning, you know, 30 basis points in interest, um, and you've got a credit card that's at 22%. Yeah. And yes. you come to me and you say, what should I do? Again, I would have to see your total yeah. financial there may be an argument that says you know what you really probably should keep that 20k liquid uh and take the hit on the credit card we'll have to talk about why you have all that credit card balance again story for another day 
all of these factors have to go in, which is why I, I teach this as a course so I can work one-on-one -on -one with people. Yeah. I got to know their money mindset. That's yeah. why chapter one is the psychology of money. Yeah. If you're in a super scarcity mindset, I could teach you to trade stocks, but you'll never execute a trade because you'll be too scared. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or if you're in the scarcity mindset, you'll also sabotage, you know, it's, it's, I always, yeah. you know, I, being a habits and mindset coach, I always look at the, the root of all of the issues is always going to start in the mind around it. So if you have a scarcity mentality or victim mentality or a, mm -hmm. you know, repulsion belief about money being bad or wrong, or, you know, there's so many things that come up for people sabotaging their wealth building. Well, I'm curious, what would you say are the top, top sabotagers for people in, in their mindset around money? Um, one of the things I talk a lot about is um, the fact that people are risk blind, right? So if there's one thing, and in fact, I think I quoted Vince Lombardi, the famous football coach, where I said, risk isn't everything, it's the only thing. People will tell you, oh, I bought this mutual fund and it returned, you know, 15% a year over the on average over the last 10 years. Yeah, but what was the risk associated with it? What do you mean? Mm -hmm. so what was the risk? Because yeah. if, it's, if it's all these high-flying stocks, uh, which, you know, what, what we would call high beta stocks or high PE stocks, that's very risky. Mm -hmm. So if you're only looking at return, you're looking at one side of an equation. Well, there's a whole other side and it's a much more important side, which is where, where are the risks? Where are the known risks and where are the contingent risks? I talk a lot about it in my book about all of the different kinds of risks. And I've, I've fallen victim to being risk, risk blind. I've made, you know, dumb mistakes. Uh, even someone who considers himself, you know, uh, um, you know, an A player in financial intelligence. I, I've done stupid things. I've ignored, I've ignored risk. Um, yeah. It happens. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I think that's part of building the intelligence muscle, right? Is, is making those mistakes and then learning and going, ah, oh, now I know. <laughs> you're trying, you're trying not to make repetitive mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I say that an experiment is only a failure if you didn't learn something from it. Yes. Right? That's great. Yeah. Very true. Okay, so then what would you say is for people that, that the sabotage beliefs that they have going on about money that you've learned through the people you've gotten to work with? Um, some people are, are um, I, I got to figure out how I'm going to, well, I'll just say what it is. They're, they're like hopeless optimists, right? Uh -huh. Entrepreneurs especially. Right. I have this New Yorker cartoon in my head of a of the entrepreneur standing in front of the banker bankruptcy judge saying, just give me one more chance. I know I can turn this ship around. Right. That is the optimism of entrepreneurs until the gavel comes down and says you're chapter 13 or whatever. They still think that there is a way to turn it around. Right. <laughs> I love it. That's that's tough. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm a trader. I trade the markets. I manage a book. You know, it's uh, it's not Buffett money, but it's it's an, people wouldn't sneeze at at, uh, at the portfolio. Um, I manage the risk very, you know, very uh, stringently, um, but I don't make crazy moves, and I don't do things when I'm in an emotionally charged state. In fact, I tell people, um, if 
if managing money and trading isn't incredibly boring, you're doing something wrong, right? You want excitement? Yeah. Go to Vegas, right? Yeah. Go to yeah. the craps table. Of course, now you got to wear a mask, or maybe you don't have to wear a mask. I don't know what you <laughs> anymore. Um, there are different places to get thrills. Money is not really a place that I recommend to people that they should look for thrills. Yeah. Yet, yet gambling is a trillion dollar business. Yeah. So scared. powerful what you're saying though, because it's like when you're talking about, you know, known risks, managing risks, being a hopeful entrepreneur, really what you're talking about is having a balanced approach, seeing all sides, not coming in with this infatuated view of like, oh, I'm going to make a whole bunch of money and then not see the downsides. And even thinking about the, you know, like with great wealth comes great responsibility. You've got to embrace both parts. You know, like I, and I, I can say this because in my history, you know, going from food stamps to building a six figure business fast, yes. I had a lot of that intrigue about success and money and what it meant and, and how it would feel and all those things. And then, you know, the more that I learn about money mastery and financial intelligence, the more I go balance, 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 balance. Yeah. It, it's boring. It's unsexy. Yeah. It's very eating potatoes, but there's a reason, you know, yeah. it works. Yeah. Right? It, it works. Yeah. Would you say, so, you know, it's funny because when you're talking about hopeful entrepreneurs, part of the reason I love working with entrepreneurs is because of that mindset where they're like, I can make anything happen. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. What, what do you recommend to balance that out? Well, it's interesting as a coach, I, you know, I'm trained, I was trained, trained, uh, I'd spent a year with Coachville. So I, you know, I, 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 once I decided purposefully that I was going to be a coach, I said, okay, what are the best practices? So I said, oh, sign up for school, learn all that, go through it, you know, um, uh, methodically, right? Be, be focused on that. Um, I'm sorry, repeat the question for me again. Um, I was thinking, what, what would you recommend for people to balance out that hopeful entrepreneurism mindset? Because partly that's a really amazing quality, but then, you know, in balancing it out so they don't have that one-sided infatuation and can step into their business with a more poised approach, right, right, you right, know, right. what would you recommend people do from a coaching perspective? Well, then this, now this is like a free advertisement for, for coaches because that's what you need a sounding board for. Through Coachable, yeah. we learn about something called judgment-free awareness. So my job, uh, one, of, well, one of my many jobs, is not to judge what it is that you're choosing to do, mm -hmm. right? Really not my job, but it's to work through it to get you to realize whether this is a, a good approach, uh, to play the devil's advocate, which I do all the time, and to be able to give some gentle pushback. But it isn't my job to, to say to you, that's a really dumb idea, Amanda. You should <laughs> not do that. Right? Yes. Fool, you, right? Um, now, sometimes I just give the answer. I mean, yeah. sometimes if you've ever had a therapist, and I've had many of them over the year, uh, you know how infuriating it can be sometimes because they're trying to draw this out of you. Yeah. And you feel they're just, they're just doing this to keep the meter running, right? It's just, you want to shake them and say, just give me the answer. So sometimes we just give them the answer because I have an enormous amount of experience that I lean on that says, okay, I've seen these situations before. Yeah. Um, and here's what happened. I share my experience and I can tell you whether I had a good outcome or a bad outcome. Yeah. So, so that's important. It's very difficult as an entrepreneur, you're at the top of the pyramid. You don't have any peers, really. You might have a business partner, but you're on the same level. My first business partner, 
our philosophy was we agree to agree or we agree to disagree. Uh, and that was it. If we disagreed on something, it didn't happen. Right. And it, it worked well for about 10 years and then it, it stopped working, um, which is why we became ex-partners. Um, having that sort of, um, and now it could be a mastermind group. It could be a mentor. It could be, you know, a consultant. It could be somebody, mm-hmm. but you really want to make sure that they don't have an ulterior motive or an agenda. Yeah. Like put together a board of directors and everybody has maybe a little piece of the company. Human nature is you're, you're going to, you're going to look after your own nest egg, your own, yeah. your, your own basket. Um, that will color people's thinking. Yeah. Uh, for me, you're my client for my, you know, million dollar plus clients. I, I require three months because that's how long it takes to really figure out whether we've got a groove going or not. Yeah. After that, it's month to month. In fact, it's month to month. And if you, and you don't have to give me any notice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. You just, my philosophy is really simple. If you don't want to be here, I don't want you here. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't, it, it, I always tell people, I'm not a miracle worker. You got to show up and play the game. <laughs> I am pretty amazing and I have a lot of tools, but I'm not I'm a really, really, I'm really, really good. I had somebody asked me, uh, how do I know you can help me? Yeah. And I paused for a second and I said, you don't. I said, yeah. I do. I know because I've helped scores of people, but yeah. right now you don't know at all. You have to make a leap of faith. Yeah. If you don't have it. Yeah. And it's always a co-created experience, right? I mean, you can have all the tools in the world, but if the person doesn't want to show up and do the work, that that's not, it it won't work. What I really hear you saying ultimately though, in in terms of judgment-free awareness is, is that people who have that, you know, the hopeful entrepreneurship, awesome, keep that, but have a blind spot detector who's going to help you see the other side. (laughs) I have a t-shirt that says hope is not a plan. Right. Nice. It's on my, yes. it's on my, That's right. it's on, it's my on website. your website. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I actually, it was on a podcast where she said, <laughs> what does that mean? I said, it means hope is not a plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can hope that your business is going to turn around. My job w- with working with you is to figure out concrete, strategic and tactical steps so that your business turns around. Right? Yeah. yeah. Hope is great. And it's wonderful. And it's one of those things that can help you get up in the morning because a lack of hope is soul crushing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just is. And then you'll say to yourself, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good conversation. I'm having so much fun. Okay. What would you say are the top three max potential habits that got you where you are today? Um, I would say number one is I'm a lifelong learner, right? I want to learn everything that I can about everything. So you need to have, let's just, we'll make that more concise. An intellectual curiosity, mm, right? Yeah. Doesn't, I'm not talking Jeopardy smart or any of that, that stuff. I'm just talking about really being curious and not just looking at what's on the surface, but digging down and doing your own work to really find out what I, what I call your truth, right? I mean, objective truth has kind of gone out the window, <laughs> right? Um, everybody has their own version of the truth. It's almost like facts don't matter. You need to go in there and figure out the facts. And some of them, 
may not buttress your, your argument. There's confirmation bias. You need to be mindful of that. You talk about mindfulness. You need to be mindful of when your confirmation biases are coming into play and um, putting you in a position to make less than stellar decisions. So that's number one. Number two is there are no shortcuts. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. There are no shortcuts. I don't care what they tell you on the internet or Instagram or whatever the heck it is. You can't put this electronic gizmo and expect your fat to melt away. You gotta go to the gym <laughs> and you gotta work. Believe yeah. me, it's fun. It gets the endorphins going. So don't believe the hype. Gotta put the work in. And I guess, well, what would be the last one? I guess um, the idea that you have all of the information that you need available to make smart decisions, whether they be for entrepreneurship, money, or anything else. It's all there, right? You have the collective knowledge of all of the libraries of all of mankind in a little phone that you carry in your pocket, right? Oh, Use right. it, yeah. right? Right. Stop thumbing through your FOMO feed about all the stupid stuff that people are doing and go in there. It, it, it's astonishing what there is. Every day I'm like stunned by, by the stuff that's out there. I mean, it yeah. keeps my brain blasting. Yeah. I think, I think something that you're really highlighting in, in all of that, that, you know, in, if you think about lifelong learner, then the, there are no shortcuts is the application of the learning that you're implementing. Mm -hmm. And then in the third, you know, I think the key word you said, you have all the info you need about make to make, you have all the info, info you need available to make smart decisions. It's that decision piece because most yeah. people get stuck on They could even get stuck on information overload because they're not willing to make the decision to apply the knowledge that they have. You know, so it's, it's going, I hate it when people, well, hate, that's a strong word. It's interesting when people are telling you this, that, the other, but then that you go, okay, now what are you going to decide about that? And then take action in that direction. Because I know people, it's like analysis paralysis, right? Uh, yeah. They want to read, read, Trust read, me. read, learn, 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 but then never I, I apply. Live, I, live, I live for the last 30 years with one, <laughs> with one of those analysis <laughs> paralytics. Um, I don't yeah. want to throw my wife under the bus. <laughs> I mean, I was in a mastermind group and um, one of the guys are all, you know, nobody's less than, you know, 20 years younger than me. And one of the guys who lives in Brazil was saying uh, he was going on a digital detox. I said, what is that? Well, we go to this mountaintop where there's no cell phone service and we all go there and, you know, we, we disconnect. Yeah. It's, I'm like, you have to go to a mountaintop to do that? <laughs> I said, couldn't you just turn your phone off and put it in a drawer? and maybe go for a hike or something. And, yeah. you know, again, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a, you know, I, I'm a, I dub myself sometimes, you know, guy who lived before internet or guy who lived before cell phone. <laughs> you know, I'm making air quotes yeah. with that. It's a very, it's a very boomer thing. You know, they'll give me the people roll their eyes because I've got three, three boys and they're all millennials and they'll roll their eyes with the ball that the boomer crap. It's like somehow we managed to make it this far. Yeah. Without ATMs and cell phones. I mean, I was a grown ass man when cell phones came around. In fact, when my wife and I bought our first cell phones, the guy from AT&T came to our apartment in New York City wow. and delivered them to us 
white glove service in the early 90s and spent an hour with us to show us how this giant clunky old Motorola phone that barely worked, worked. That's right? so awesome. <laughs> now, was, you get was, one. now you get yeah. a cell phone and a Cracker Jacks. So. Yeah, I was telling my daughter the other day when I was in labor with her, I had a pager. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a pager in 1995 when yeah. my second son was born yeah. because the cell phone was so unreliable in New York City. <laughs> and my wife said, I need you to go get a beeper. So I'll beep yeah. you and then you can call me back. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. Good it's hard to imagine what life was like before that for our kids. It is. And of course, our, our parents said the same thing. We huddled around the radio and listened to FDR. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so great. All right. This has been such a fun conversation. I let people know where they can find you because your book sounds like it's packed with a lot of good stuff and your course as well. So share where people can find you. So the, the easiest place to go, and I've been working on it during the, um, during the lockdown, is www.henrydoss.com, H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S.com. Okay. That's like my main vanity page, and it has links to, to like all my stuff, my, my baseball card collection, my screenplays, and nice. all my business stuff. Uh, on, my, on my business site, you can download my book for free. There's a link in there somewhere. Um, Cool. You're just going to have to look around. You're going to have to go through all of my uh, my stuff on, on the website. Yeah. If you misspell my name, D-A-S-S, which people do, I have that URL too, and it redirects. Smart. That's a belt, belt <laughs> and braces approach to things. Um, yeah, and I have you know blogs, and I have two different blogs that I write. One's business and, and finance, and the other one is more personal and political. Nice. So, cool. That's great. And everyone that'll be in the show notes. And I love this. And definitely if you're enjoying our conversation and Henry's style, go check it out because you'll get sucked into his website. There's lots of good humor there. And it's just, I was telling him when pre-show, you know, I, you know, obviously I interview a lot of people and I go to their websites and some, you know, it's just like, okay, cool. I got enough information. His, I was like, aha, laughing and just getting sucked into it. So check it out for sure. Download his book. Thank you so much, Henry. It's been awesome to have you on to share your wealth of financial intelligence knowledge. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for being here for another week. I hope you have an incredible mastering of your money mindset, habits, and creating financial intelligence for yourself in your personal life and in your business so that you can build your net wealth and your net worth and really thrive because it sucks to be in survival mode worrying about money. (laughs) So do what it takes. You've got this. High fives, everyone. Have a thriving week and I will be back next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Max Potential Habits podcast. If you're liking what you've heard, it would be so incredibly awesome if you would subscribe to the channel and leave a five-star rating and a written review. This helps me help more people while we grow our NFA community so we can rock it out together. For Max Potential Habits resources, go to nfacoaching.com where you can access all of my resources. There's free eBooks, PDF checklists, a journal template, a business mindset meditation kit, and so much more. Plus links to NFA Coaching on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you're super serious about up-leveling, there's also a link to schedule a free consult to work with me in group or one-on-one coaching. 
Until next time, I hope you have a Max Potential Habits Day where you get inspired to do whatever it takes to transform into the most empowered version of yourself so you can lead a rich, thriving, kick-ass life and business.